0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1085. It's
1: always to treat others as you would like to be treated yourself.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in all the way from across the pond in London, Peter Wallman. Hey, Peter, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: Well, I'm ready, but no seatbelt.
0: That's right, you drive old cars. dangerously. Yes, a little bit. Well, put one on when you're in that modern car, would you please? We'd like to keep you around for a while. Peter Wallman is a consultant at Kidston, located in Geneva, Switzerland. Kidston is a company that's been in the automotive business for 30 plus years, dealing with high end automobiles and collector vehicles. Today, he works out of London as a consultant to Kidston Business in the United Kingdom. He has extensive knowledge of sports and racing cars from the 1950s and 1960s. While in Milan, he consigned a fine selection of cars from the Laidlaw Collection from Italy for the inaugural and record breaking Automobiles of London auction. One of his many career highlights was consigning the ex Fangio 1956 Works Ferrari 290mm to R.M. Sotheby's New York Auction in 2015. Peter's also a dedicated enthusiast of classic Riva wooden boats. Some of his collection today include a 1961 Jaguar E-Type, a Ferrari 365 GT 2 Plus 2, and an original 1961 Riva Ariston. So Peter, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little more about your career and a very obvious passion for Old automobiles and old boats.
1: Well, yeah. Hi, Mark. I've been around old cars for most of my life, but I started my career actually in a completely different industry, which was the advertising industry. I worked in uh, in London, New York, and Milan for a bit, uh, learning Italian wife whilst I was there. I have an Italian wife, so that's been a great benefit to me in my career. In fact, you mentioned the uh, consignment that, we, that I... Um, made from Milan for the uh, first RM Sotheby's auction in London in 2007. And really, if I didn't speak English, sorry, if I didn't speak Italian, I don't think I would have been able to achieve that. And it's Mm. quite interesting that Italians do quite like to deal with English people or foreigners, let's say, but in Italian, So yes. that, that gave me a great advantage. But I really switched over halfway through my career into the car business to work with my passion. I'd never worked in the, uh, in the automotive industry before, but I think uh, my experience of working in the advertising industry helped quite a lot because essentially we're selling things to people that they can neither afford nor need, uh, <laughs> but they want very badly. Yes. So um, <laughs> some good skills learned along the way.
0: I think so. Well, fantastico! That's fantastic. I love it. A great story, and we're going to learn a lot more about you as we kind of take this journey through your life. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that has importance to you, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So, Peter, take the wheel.
1: Well, I'm going to give you three actually because I gave this a bit of thought, and all three of these I've I found very useful and relevant in my life. The first one I'm still learning about, I have to say and that is often the difference between a successful marriage and a mediocre one often consists of leaving about three or four things every day unsaid. And I think that <laughs> quote actually applies very well in business. You know, I like working in a team, you know, we've all had bosses, we've all had disagreements, but I think that skill of knowing when to, uh, swallow your pride, bite your tongue and actually move on or sleep on it yeah. is a useful one to have in life. And I think, uh, my wife appreciates that, <laughs> if, if not my boss's. Yes. The other, the other quote that I think is very, very important, particularly in this business, Mark, is always to treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. Mm, yes. And I think um, the reason I think that's particularly applicable in our business is, you know, we are dealing with passion. We're dealing with very successful businessmen and women. But we're dealing with their personal wealth. We're not dealing with the money that's invested in their companies. We're not. It's not a business-to-business transaction. It's, a, you know, when you're working for an auction house or for a broker, you are dealing with the person themselves that's taken that money out of the business, put it in their own pocket very often, mm-hmm. and spent it in a way that they've chosen to spend it. So you have to approach it very differently, and I think you have to treat them with greatest respect. So treating people as I would like to be treated is the mantra that I do say to myself quite often. And then finally something which in fact my very first job on on one of the old traditional telephones in on the desk uh, not a mobile it was a, a big black thing sitting on the desk with <laughs> oh, so yeah. a red sticker and on that sticker it said do it now mm. and I found that useful for you know we all have things in uh, in business that you want to put off do it tomorrow do it in a week put it in the calendar and forget about it until it's really urgent. And I make that mistake very often. But I do come back to that simple statement, do it now, yes. and try to crack on, try to make myself do the things that I'd like to put off. And often, they're a lot easier when you get around to just going ahead and breaking the back of it.
0: Well, those are three great success quotes. I love the golden rule, of course, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That always works every day, all of the time. And do it now. I, the saying I have is swallow that frog. When you get up in the morning and you have something to do you don't want to do, swallow the frog first, get it over with, and move on. You're right. It's always better when you do that. But that first one you shared, oh my gosh, I, you're setting me up, Peter, because I could learn from that. And I have a feeling my wife, Jill's going to listen to this show and go, Mark, you should listen to Peter. There's some things better left unsaid. So uh,
1: That was number one on my list, Mark, because it's one that I'm I'm still learning from every day, I have to tell you.
0: I think all of us men are still learning that one for sure. But but I'm going to keep it in mind. Uh, I think it's a wonderful way to go through life. And, yeah, sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut. Well, my mom said we have two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. So uh, I think that's another another good point. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads. Actually, before we go there, I'm going to back up a little bit here. I would love to hear a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a car guy?
1: Well, I think... My father knew it before I did, because I do remember from a very early age, certainly before I could walk, the first big present that came from my dad was Scalextrix, and Ah, um, I remember it very well. We had two, you know, I was born in the late 60s, we had two Grand Prix cars, I just remember it as a green one and a red one, I'm pretty sure it was Lotus, against Ferrari, you know, and I played with that that set, or rather my father did, (laughs) most (laughs) most weekends. But what went with it in, especially, uh, I think the great thing about cars is that they do fulfill every sense. And, you know, as well as looking beautiful, they're fun and exhilarating to drive. They're, um, and the sound and the smell. One thing that went with my Scale Electric set was this fabulous 45 um, record, which had the sights and sounds of a Grand Prix meeting with the commentary and the uh, just evocative. And it made me really pay attention to the cars going around the track. A couple of other things, My, I mean, my father wasn't necessarily a collector or you know, uh, didn't have the money to do so, but he did, before he get, got married, buy himself, treat himself to an Austin Healey 3000, which he imported from South Africa. It was an uh, old English white, red leather interior, and it had white wall tires on it. And uh, there's only one photo that exists in the family album of that car, and that's with my mother sitting on the back, and uh, my dad's not in the picture. I looked at that picture for years and years and always it always made me uh, lust after a car, owning a car that looked like, that, you know, the classic right. sports two-seater. Oh, yeah. E-type Jaguars, seeing them on the road. And another thing that always turned me on to cars, and I just remember in the sort of 70s, seeing old cars on the on the roads with wire wheels and the spinners going around. Oh, yes. And that they fascinated me. It just looked like a racing car on the road. There was something about seeing those, you know, those wire wheels with the spinners that looked very dangerous yes it just turned me on to the idea of of cars from that era and as soon as i got my driver's license that's what i wanted to own something yeah. with wire wheel spinners
0: <laughs> well peter you'll love this uh, being english my father's first sports car was a 49 mg tc and uh boy yeah. do i remember those wire wheels and those spinners absolutely and sitting in the left hand seat because it was a right hand drive car even though it was over here in the states so Ah uh, yes, I think we both go back. And how many dads have bought their kids a, a slot car set before the kids can even squeeze the trigger, saying, "Well, that's for them, honey, not for me." <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely true. And I, I, you know, I do remember my my whilst my dad had an Austin Healy three thousand, which I mentioned, he did sell it to raise the money for the wedding to get married to my mom. Oh wow! That's probably not stopped mentioning it, but he actually lost it after an E type Jag, and he he never owned one. I eventually did and I remember from my sort of formative years seeing E-type Jags and wow there was just something about seeing that shape on the road whether it was a convertible or a coupe that just looked like nothing else, particularly in, in London in the 70s. There yes. were you know there were great cars around, but you didn't see that many. No. But if you did see an E-Type Jag, your draw would uh, drop immediately.
0: One of the most beautiful cars ever, for sure. Well, Peter, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. I love this question because it's all about learning lessons and teaching us things that we didn't know after going through something. So take us through one of those experiences. Kind of walk us through it. And- Tell us how uh, you moved forward and uh, gained some momentum in your career and your business after that.
1: Well, I think having spent, uh, you know, a good 10 years in in the auction world and, um, you know, working for RM, which was really the biggest, we dealt with some very, very high-end collectors and very valuable cars, and clearly they wouldn't always sell. And I think, you know, dealing with that, dealing with the disappointment in the auction world, you tend to – Put a lot of effort in to chase the client to get the car consigned to negotiate the best possible price that he's willing to accept but then there's there's never any guarantee that the car is going to sell so sort of a lot of work goes into trying to achieve that winning consignment and occasionally it can be a disappointment and delivering that news to the uh, owner some of us take it more personally than others and i certainly suffered from that but More importantly, I mean, in terms of a huge challenge, interestingly and very personal to me, was the birth of my first child. Mm. He's six now. Yes. But he, he was born with a few challenges, completely unexpected to my wife and I. But something I've learned from that, there are things in life that just simply cannot be changed, no matter how much you try. Right. All you can do is manage it and make slow incremental improvements and do your best. You know, I'm the sort of guy that gets wound up about small things, but the big things I tend to cope with a lot better. And I think with that mantra, just there are things that can't be changed. You've just got to get on with it. And, you know, that's a lesson that life has taught
0: me. Oh, absolutely. I had Wayne Carini from the television show Chasing Classic Cars in the show. His daughter is challenged with uh, a difficulty and. He said something very similar. You have to accept the situation, move forward and treat it for what it is. And uh, it is the way it is. And that's the way life's going to be and move forward with it and accept it. That's the key, I think. My takeaway, wouldn't that be? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there are, you'll never enjoy anything in your life. If you can't change it, you have to accept it. You have to move on and you have to do your very best to improve it. Yes. where you can. And, uh, you know, fortunately for, for us and my wife and I, my wife is very strong and my son is doing absolutely great. So um,
0: he's got what's most important. That's loving and caring parents. Absolutely. So very nice. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment, I should say, when you make a pivot in your career and go down a new path, something that excites you and is important to you. Can you walk us through one of those?
1: Well, as I said to you um, in the introduction, I worked for many years in the advertising industry. And when my wife and I got married, we went off on honeymoon. And I was actually um, freelancing for an advertising business at the time. Uh, the first night of our honeymoon was September 11th, 2001. Oh, so it was a it, it was. Put it this way, when we came back to uh, London and I was sort of out there looking for a new job in the advertising industry, uh, there weren't many. Right, um, yeah, things you know, changed. Most people, we all know that the first budget that gets cut when there are difficult times tends to be the marketing budget, right. rightly or wrongly. Right. So that gave us the opportunity to move to Milan. I learned Italian. I started working for an ad agency whilst I was there, but I realized that I'd come to the end of my career in advertising. It wasn't exciting me anymore. I'd taken my E-Type over to Italy. I was driving it to the odd event, things like the uh, Coppa Inter Europa and a few um, a few Concours events, such as Villa d'Este and a couple of others, and I was looking at the car industry and I was reading a um, reading a magazine in my lunchtime in this ad agency, one of the classic car mags, and I saw an ad for Koi's, and I didn't really know much about the auction business at all. But I saw this ad and I thought, well, that sounds quite attractive. I wonder if they have an office in Italy. And they didn't. And obviously, Italy is a very, very important place for the classic car industry in terms of its, its rich history, the drivers, the manufacturers, the coach builders, the racing success. I wrote to Coys in London, not knowing them at all. And I said, look, I'm, I'm based in Italy. I go to events. I drive an E-Type Jaguar to it. And I speak Italian. What are you doing over here? And if it's nothing, why don't you let me help you? And that's that's how I sort of transferred over into this business, but not just to be sort of in the car business. I saw an opportunity as well. My presentation to Kois wasn't the classic one. It was, and you know, uh, we mentioned uh, kids and Simon, kids and many, many, many people in Europe, especially in the UK, started their careers in the in the car business at Kois. Interestingly, so um, you know, I, I came through a good training ground. I um, helped them to open an office in Milan, I got the um got them to have their first auction over here, I did a few events. But what I'd spotted, Mark, and this was back in the early two thousands, maybe two thousand and three, I'd spotted in luxury magazines, which I, I enjoy reading, whether it's sort of you know fashion magazines or whatever, lots and lots of imagery of models and whether it was leather goods or shoes or watches and in the background, you would always see a classic car, whether it was an Aston Martin DB5 in a Burberry ad, or you you'd just more and more you were seeing classic cars in that sort of aspirational imagery, and making that link between advertising and the car business. I always saw an opportunity to say this has to turn around a bit. This has to be seen more of a more of a luxury, if you like, asset class or event opportunity the way the market has, in fact, now changed. When I first got my E-Type Jaguar, I was 20. I went to a Jaguar driver's club meeting in a pub in rural England. And to be perfectly honest with you, at the age of 20 with my girlfriend at the time, it wasn't much fun. I thought that the ind- industry needed to change. It needed to modernize a bit. It needed to get a bit more sex appeal. And, and ever since, I've been doing my very best to find angles and try to introduce more of that Luxury marketing opportunity to help sell cars to a new generation. Anyway, that's where I started, and then when um, when our RM opened its office in uh, late two thousand six two thousand and seven, I knew um, the M- MD at the time, Max Gerardo, and uh, he picked up the phone and said, "Look, we're opening up an office here. Would you like to come and help us?"
0: And that's where it started. Ah, oh, great. Well, Max is going to be a future guest here on cars. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that you recognize at a point in time, you know what, what I'm doing now, I'm just not as happy with anymore. I want to go do something. I hear from so many of my listeners that are in that position right now, and they call me, they email me and say, Mark, how do I get in the car industry? And I say, just listen to my guest stories, because so many of them have made that pivot either early in their life or sometimes very late in your life. How old were you, Peter, when you made that transition? Well,
1: Question. So, 2015 years ago, I was about 30, 35, 36. Okay. When it first started. And then I moved back to London and wasn't really sure. I, I moved back to London prior to RM actually opening. So I'd stopped working with Koi's for different reasons, but I moved back to London anyway. And mm-hmm. that, that that door opened at RM.
0: Nice. Very nice story. So, you know,
1: you've got to believe in destiny as well.
0: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but mostly. Chase what you're interested in, I mean, be bold, send him a letter, go meet with them. You never know where things might land you. Uh Ramsey Potts, who's been a guest on the show here, is another good example for listeners. Go back and listen to his story because uh he was in an industry where he wasn't that happy, and now he is just thrilled to be working in the car auction industry uh awesome guy, spectacular man, uh someone who was listening to this show, and because of my many inspiring automotive enthusiasts, made a change, and now he's super happy so. It's possible at any age, for sure. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car, because you've got some cars that are near and dear to my heart. Of course, we've talked about the Jaguar E-Type, which uh, that was one of my first cars I wanted when I was a little boy. What was your first really special car? And maybe share a memory about that vehicle.
1: My very first car, from the moment I got a driving license, all my friends were going out and... or Say their parents were buying them golfs and things like that, Sierras, I don't know, sort of -of run-of-the-mill or maybe hot hatchbacks in some instances, escorts, things like that. But I always wanted to have those wire wheels. So, uh, you know, with probably a similar budget or even less, fortunately, the bank of dad, I managed to get myself into um, a red MGB from the late sixties. Nice. Great fun. Absolutely love that car. I did actually there is an experience I had with it which was quite a a lesson learned the hard way. The very first day that I got the thing insured, I'd spent all day detailing it and polishing the paint off of it as far as I could. <laughs> and just about to take it out to go and meet my friends on a I think it was a Friday or a Saturday evening, I don't remember, and it started raining. I took the car out and I was driving across where I used to live in, in, in London, which was actually on a sort of open, uh, open plane, really, Heath, mm-hmm. driving down the road. And as a lady goes to um, put into her drive, she she started to turn right, hesitated. So I, I'd already taken my foot off the gas. And then she went again right in front of me, oh. I slammed the anchors on. In the wet, first time I've driven the car, the car mounted the pavement and hit a wall. Oh, um, no. So that was the very first day I had the car. And, oh. Um, yeah, it was a, not not a happy story, but a story all the same. We got it fixed, and I uh, had a year year of fun out of that. Sold that and bought a, a yellow TR6, Mimosa Yellow, which was also an awesome car to have, I have to say. You know, a lot more powerful than people think. Mm-hmm. I spent quite a bit of time always in those days, I always did my own mechanics and whatever I could to to present the cars better than when I bought them, always aiming for an E-Type. So I, I made a good profit on the TR6, borrowed some money from the bank in the days where you had to go to the bank manager in a jacket and tie and uh, yes. tell them how you were going to budget for this. Uh-huh. Uh, it was like getting a mortgage, but I did get a bank loan. And um, I bought my 1961 E-Type Coupe, which is the 49th right-hand drive E-Type Coupe built, so oh my it's a very gosh. very early car. Wow! And I've had it ever since, you know, going on thirty years.
0: Oh well, thankfully you've kept it all these years. I always ask this next question of people, and that is a question about sellers' remorse. Now, for a guy who's sold a lot of cars at auctions, I'm wondering if uh, if you even believe in sellers' remorse or not. Is there a story there somewhere?
1: Well, I don't have. I don't really have experience of it. I, I you know, the E Type is what I've wanted. Uh, More recently, I bought a Ferrari 365 GT2 Plus 2, and the genuine backstory to that is I was going to various car events, and occasionally, I'd like to take my wife and my son, as it was at the time. I've now got two children, but I thought, this is silly. We can't all go in the E-Type. What's the point in going to an old car event in the family Audi? Yes. At the time, the particular model I bought was relatively affordable, You know, a bit of an unloved model. And I said, look, it, it, it's a full four seater. It's a Ferrari. And actually, I haven't looked back. But in terms of buyer, seller's remorse, I sold the MGB, sold the TR6. They're probably the only two cars I've I've ever sold on a personal level. I've still got the E-Type and I have two classic cars. So I'd say the only thing I miss slightly is is in uh, not having a, um, a soft top, especially with the summer we've had in uh, in the UK this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what fun. I love it. Well, what's got you excited and fired up right now in your business at Kidston? Tell us some things that you're working on that uh, I know there's some stuff you're working on you can't share quite yet. I hope you do when you get it all consolidated, but uh, what has you excited these days?
1: Well, I think um, it was a lot of fun working in the uh, auction business, now doing some consulting with Kidston. Kidston's a very good brand. Simon Kidston, he founded the business. His uncle was one of the Bentley boys. Glen Kidston, so there 's a family heritage there, and that brings a certain type of experience. I think Simon and I have a have a similar approach we 're both virgos, and I think we both we're fairly pedantic about things and want to do things in a certain way we 're a bit of a flourish where possible it's good to be part of that team you know I, I probably could have set up as a consulting business on my own when i left rm but i i, I like being part of a team as it will probably talk about a bit later in the interview other things excited me the e-type we've talked about quite a bit well that's actually been a full body restoration for the last two years um, wow. i went up there to I I used to use it all year round. I've driven it in snow, ice, everything. So um, inevitably, there was a bit of rust here and there on the underside. I took it up to uh, RS Panels, a great company. I I know Bob Smith. I mean, they do sterling work on on Jaguars especially. And we went up there and said, well, let's strip the floors and the seals and see where we are and go from there. Two years later... Suffice to say, I've done rather a lot more work than I set out. It's today, always but, that um, way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's in trim now. It's in trim, and I tell you, you know, it was it, gunmetal with black when I bought it. Original colours are gunmetal with light blue. So I'm very excited about seeing that finished and yeah. uh, hopefully getting a bit of use at the end of the uh, summer. The Reavers is something I'm very passionate about. But uh, yeah, uh, finally, the um, I, I'm working on uh, an online project with. Um, three other partners which relates to the auction world and uh, in a nutshell it's an online business dedicated to solving a perennial problem in the auction business which is unsold auction lots which ah, okay. often go unloved but we're not just talking about cars we're talking about across the spectrum of um, of the offering so it's art wine watches jewelry antiques furniture ah. etc so um We've come up with what we think is a unique solution to that, and uh, we hope to be launching that in the next co- in the coming months. Mm-hmm. And I'd uh, love to have the opportunity to come back on and tell you about it.
0: I would love to have you come back. That sounds very exciting. Uh, Second Offers, that comes to mind, is a great name, or whatever you're going to end up calling it. I look forward to hearing more about it when everything comes together. Very exciting. Well, here's a very, I call an introspective question for you, Peter? If you were a vehicle, a car, what would you be and why?
1: Well, I really struggled with this question because I wanted to give you a fun answer, but I didn't want it to sound conceited, which it's quite easy to yes, become, <laughs> yeah, um, when you're looking at beautiful cars, beautiful objects that are probably uh, incredibly that are incredibly valuable. But I came up with the following. I came up with a Bentley R-type Continental. Ooh. And the reason I chose the Bentley R-Type Continental, it's, it's probably in my top 10 list of cars that I'd like to own. I think, as I am, it's sporty, sporting, but not too sporting. Um, yeah. I have to say, I certainly do my best to be uh, elegant and well-appointed whenever possible. It's British through and through, yep. but uh, it's perfectly acceptable on the continent, which I like to think I am, having an Italian wife. Yes. And I'll finalise by saying that I'm definitely manual change, but unlike many examples of the uh, R-Type Continental, I've been converted from sporting lightweight seats to larger comfy seats rather than the opposite. <laughs> Um, oh, nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nicely that's, that's
1: said. My, that's my summary on that.
0: I like that. I like the way you put some kind and sincere thought to that as well, Peter. Very well done. Well, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah, sponsors. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to buy cars and keeping them looking new. In addition to Premier plush and Berber custom floor mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hey, this is Mark Green. Are you interested in selling online and building a sustainable business? Bonanza is a marketplace platform that empowers you to create your dream business. Getting started at Bonanza is easy. You can start fresh or import your items from other marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or Shopify. Auto parts and accessories are a high-performance category at Bonanza, and there's no risk involved in signing up. There are no listing fees or monthly fees. You pay only when you make the sale. Bonanza listens to seller feedback and uses it to improve tools and build new features, so there are tons of customization options for sellers no matter what the size Of your business. Be sure to sign up using the link bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah, and you'll receive a free consultation with bonanza experts who make sure that you are on your way to generating sales. That's bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah. Okay, Peter, we're back and we're entering what I call the last lap, the lightning round. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that bentley throttle or jaguar throttle so here we go Hmm. what's the best automotive advice you've ever received Buy the best you can afford oh every time yeah absolutely would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years
1: i would say being a team player and sincerely wishing for others in the team to succeed as well as myself
0: yeah excellent Now, do you have a resource? And I know there are a lot of awesome resources. Your new business is going to be one of those when you can share that. But is there another resource you'd like to share with our listeners that you really like?
1: Well, of course, I'm going to say the K500, which is part of the Kidston offering, which is a website dedicated to the market. It tracks prices. It creates its own bespoke independent market reports. It talks an awful lot about the industry with great market inside knowledge. But rather than just giving you... a plug for that, and I do encourage everyone to go on to K500, of course. I I find Barquetta CC incredibly useful. Over the years with RM, we've been involved in a lot of Ferraris. We get lots because we've had RM had the sales at the Ferrari factory in Maranello. and of course, Barquetta being mostly dedicated to listing as many chassis numbers as it can of uh, important ferraris from you know from the very early days in the early 50s late 40s early 50s all the way through to modern cars they're listed by chassis number they give a potted history of the car not always 100 percent accurate but a very good start of the 10 if you like before doing deeper research and it gives you the opportunity if you get at that sort of uh, cold call and somebody says to you, "Look, what do you think this is worth?" which we hate answering, of course, yes cough, yeah, but it gives you a chance to do a quick search, look up the chassis number and 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 find out whether the cars had major racing accidents, major racing successes, had body changes, engine changes, and you know it gives you a a good overview of its ownership history. And I'd say that's a very useful resource. Oh, I um, think so. Second, of course, to K500.
0: Yeah, K500. And could you spell for our listeners the website for Barchetta?
1: B-A-R-C-H-E-T-T-A dot C-C.
0: There you go. Awesome website. We just had a uh, Ferrari concours up here in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and there was a beautiful Barchetta at that event. It belongs to a local Gentleman here, John Shirley, who's got some magnificent cars in his collection, including a GTO and a few other nice Ferraris as well. It's always great about John as he shares his cars, he drives his cars. And uh, uh, during that show, I was talking to Fred Russell, who uh, helps him as a curator for his vehicles. He was talking about his uh, NART that he's going to be taking to Pebble Beach this summer and how uh, John had taken a, a little excursion down a dirt road and... He said, well, what were you doing driving this thing off-road? And John said, I wasn't off-road. It was just a dirt road. So uh, I love the fact that he drives his cars. It's fantastic. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be?
1: Well, this was another hard question. I'll try to be as brief as I can, as this is the quick fire section. But, I mean... I would say, as far as racing drivers concerned, one of my all-time heroes is uh, is Derek Bell. I think he's ah. understated, a gentleman. He's yes. good fun to be around. But, you know, I'm lucky enough to have had a drink with Derek Bell. So I I came up with William Lyons, actually, of oh, Jaguar. Yes. And um, I came up with that because he had a great aesthetic and also an ability to produce or mass-produce cars whilst at the same time winning races you know five times uh, winners at le mans in the 1950s he was a pioneer in so many ways and then look at the e-type you know a mass-produced affordable car which is still considered uh, uh, you know a world beater one of the most beautiful cars ever created and there's a fab story about william lyons in creating the um the E-Type Coupe, apparently, you know, it was the Roadster which came first and they were in the um, in the workshop and William Lyons walked in and looked at one of the prototypes of the Roadster, took some metal, thin-gauge metal tubing, hung it over the, the front windscreen and let it drape to the back of the car, stood back, looked at it and said, are we doing a coupe? No. <laughs> well, will you build me that, please? And I, I, you know, and you could see it in the way he presented himself, the way he wore his suits, his slick back hair, his glasses. There was the man was both a great hard nosed businessman, but also had a great eye for the aesthetic. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, when winning races. Yeah, wouldn't that be special to have a drink with him? Of course, uh, Derek and Justin both have been guests. The bells on this show, which uh, was a great treat and an honor for me to interview those two guys back to back. Yeah, his father's just fantastic. So very, very cool. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners should read as well?
1: Well, I. In the last couple of years, you know, I've made a few few changes uh, in my career, and there have been times when it's been a little bit tough or difficult to adjust to. And um, I'm not going to tell you about a car book, but I discovered a website by a chap called Ryan Holiday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The young guy, he's written books, but he's, his premise, his website is all about the philosophy of the Stoics. I found it fascinating and comforting and really interesting to look at the way, the stoic attitude towards life and to say, look, and there's one particular line that stuck with me when we sort of hit bumps in the road and, you know, we don't quite know which direction we're going to turn in life. There's one very simple quote which stuck with me and I thought it was quite inspiring and that is, what impedes the way becomes the way.
0: Mm. I like that. What now what's his website again so that I can direct some listeners to?
1: I um I couldn't too because I've got it saved but you just google Ryan Holiday and okay. uh, he does daily quotes and it's all about the sort of the Greeks and the Romans and the great philosophers and it's not the sort of thing I could probably digest if it was in a in a in book form but the way he breaks it down and interprets it I I just find it really um as I say, really confident and inspirational, and it, you know, sometimes helps you to get through difficult times.
0: Fantastic. Brilliant. Ryan Holiday, I will look that up and put a link to that on Peter's show notes page on the CarsYout yeah website. Just go to com, type in Peter Wallman, W-A-L-L-M-A-N, and that page will pop up with all these cool links, including that one. All right, Peter, we're up to the, uh, checkered flag here, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy for a guy who's already got some cool things parked in his garage. Today I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet, but here are the rules. It's the only one you can have, so you have to get rid of your other cars, unless you decide to keep one, and then I don't have to buy you anything today. But money is no object, uh, but you've got to keep the car and you've got to drive the car, so you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. That little trick is off the table. What can I buy you today?
1: Well, Another very very difficult question to a car guy because you know my list of cars that I'd love to own grows rather than shrinks. But, yes, <laughs> and I'm also very very privileged having you know worked in this business, uh, the, the the area of it that I've w- worked in for for a number of years has given me the opportunity to drive and enjoy some really really great cars. I mean I've driven a GTO around a track. I've driven a Testarossa. I've driven a 290mm, which is, you know, the most fun I've had in in a day for a very long time, knowing that Fangio had sat in that
0: seat. Oh, yeah.
1: So, you know, I've I've driven some of the all-time great Ferraris. I've driven, I'm very, very lucky in that respect, Mark. But, you know, again, I'm going to go back to my British roots. I'm going to go for a Works D-Type Jaguar, purposeful, hugely successful when you see them on a racetrack they they appear to be gliding around or on tiptoes they just look so balanced so poised <laughs> i think the aesthetic with the fin it's one of those cars that you look at and you can truly call where the driver sits a cockpit it really does look like a cockpit and with that fin the exposed rivets i just think it's such a purposeful uh, car the only downside to it is that it doesn't have four seats, and I'm a family guy, but I guess it's quick enough to do the journey twice.
0: Uh, yes, I love, very well said. Tiptoes around the track. What a beautiful car. Uh, nice choice, my friend. That's going to cost me a pretty penny, but that's okay. Uh, I think you would look wonderful heading off. Uh, did out. I
1: mention it had to be the Le Mans winner? Yeah, oh, Le- Le- Oh, okay. I will as well throw that
0: in. You might as well. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Let's see. Who's got one of those? There's a few guys around have some nice yeah. cars in their collection. I think uh, uh, Ralph Lauren comes to mind. I think he's got a pretty nice one in his collection as well, but uh all right, I'll get to work on that for you as quick as I can. Uh I think you well, would look like-
1: the the final thing I'd add on that is one of the great things I believe on on the D-type is they look just as uh, they're just as recognizable in their sort of privateer livery of uh, a courier car as they are in the um, in British racing green and I think yeah. that's sort of testament to to the era. And that a privateer team could take a car from the factory and uh, go out and win the morning it.
0: Yeah, and then drive it home afterwards. Nice, very well, nice. Well, Peter, you've taken us on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. Thank you for taking the time to call in all the way from across the pond today to talk to me and to the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us a parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the countryside in that D-type Jaguar? Lama winning, of course.
1: I think my parting words would be something uh, i like to see myself as a team player i enjoy working in open plan offices for that reason and i think learn from your colleagues especially in this business where you're dealing with individual negotiations on a regular basis you're dealing with lots of personalities some more difficult than others We have to remember, you know, look at how your colleagues deal with those challenges, how they get out of tough negotiations, how they work it round to suit them and keep the other person happy. And uh, with those clients, treat them with the respect that they deserve because you mustn't force people into doing things that they might be unsure of. You know, these guys are spending a lot of money with you and uh, they've made that money. They're not successful for nothing. We have to sort of, um, there has to be harmony. You can learn a lot from listening to uh, your colleagues because they're typically on the telephone dealing with exactly the same challenges that you are, junior or senior. You pick up little tidbits of information or little phrases, how you, you know what's happening at the end of the phone. And it's fun to listen. It's fun to sort of adopt some of those practices.
0: Yep, absolutely. It's all part of being a piece of the team. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Kitson? Well, we've got,
1: uh, of course, the uh, Kidston website, which shows the cars that we have on offer. Uh, And, of course, there are always a few cars that aren't advertised as well. There's the K500 website as well, which gives you uh, lots of market knowledge, lots of insights. It tracks um, prices of various models. There's an index. And the insights that are on there are, are coming from people that, you know, didn't start doing this yesterday, people that have been doing this for a very long time, and really care about what they do. So uh, over the years, accrued much knowledge. So, um, yeah, both the uh, Kidston website, as I say, I'm based in London, and the K500 website.
0: Absolutely. Well, listeners, I'll make sure I put those links on Peter notes page on the Cars. Yeah, website. Check it out. Peter, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars. Yeah, audience. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: That's great, Mark. Many thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure um, once I managed to uh, think up some answers to your very <laughs> well
0: thought through questions. Thank you very much. This has been great fun for me, too. Cheers. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered, commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. You take care of your cars.